you learn as an experienced GURPS uh, game master or player, step one is what tools are we using? Don't look at the other ones. Uh, and I think people get overwhelmed and they think if GURPS has a rule for it, I have to use it. And that is the impossible and the wrong way to, like, it will slow your game down. What you need to say is what kind of game are we playing today? And what are the tools we need to play the game? After getting Jared Logan from Stream of Blood on the show, I knew I needed to get his other half, Clint Trucks, on. The stories of how Clint ended up in L.A., in show business, and then getting back into RPGs are unlike any stories you've heard on the show before. I particularly liked his outline, an explanation of when geek became chic. Clint is not only a really good person, but his passion for RPGs is also very evident. I love everything he's been a part of, and I loved discussing games with him. Now, since we recorded this, Clint has helped launch the newest incarnation of Mystery Science Theater 3000. The link to it is in the show notes. And if you missed our interview with Clint's other half, Jared Logan, go back to the archives. It's episode 119. Clint and I had a ton of fun. You'll hear it. And we have a feeling that you'll have a ton of fun listening. Now, our supporters on Patreon are why you get content from the third floor every week. I want to shout out some of the newest patrons. Mad Quacker, Zagrave, Nick Louie, Slegend, Keller O'Leary, Robert Antony, Peter Shepard, Jesse Miller, Tony Vicinda, and John Harper. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy this great conversation with Clint. Do you love to unplug and play games around the table? Greetings, friends and floorheads to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we're talking to producer and RPG enthusiast Clinton Trucks. Clinton may be our first guest with an actual IMDb page. He has been a part of over 30 movies and shows. Some of you likely know him for his work as the secret GM on the Stream of Blood Network. He's also what I've heard him called the human Google and the producer for one of my all-time favorite podcasts, Ty and That Guy. Clinton is also a lover of role-playing games and has a comprehensive knowledge of the hobby. Clinton, welcome to the third floor. Hey, Craig. Uh, thank you very much for having me here. You've already had the professional comedian portion of uh, um, Stream of Blood on your network. Uh, so everybody, lower the bar. Uh, I am not usually a person behind the mic or in front of the camera. I like, Don't get me wrong. Like, was super excited to talk to Jared, and I thought the Jared interview was was fantastic. Um, and I'm and I blew smoke on him. I'll blow smoke for you. I've been as excited about this interview as I was about Jared. So, um, oh, uh, sweet of you to say. Um, it, uh, I, I, I love our network, and you've been very supportive for a long time, and we really appreciate it. Oh, it's it's great, man. And then and I think I, you and I talked about this when we were chatting. Like I, I almost lost my mind when I pieced together that you were on tie and that guy. Yeah, you know, kind of everybody on the network has jobs and other sort of portions of entertainment. And uh, because the Stream of Blood Network for 
as professionals we want it to be uh it is our for fun thing we do <laughs> um uh, we kind of forget that we're also working on things other people might be interested in when we're in the in games game headspace you know what i mean let's get into your origin story um sure at one point you knew nothing about grabbing a sheet of paper and some dice and pretending to be somebody else and then suddenly it was put in front of you for the first time so you can take me back there yeah yeah uh i kind of remember every step along the way because it, it was pretty meaningful to me i grew up in a very Beautiful. small town in northwestern michigan and there was one little hobby store that mostly specialized in selling uh like professional kites <laughs> nice <laughs> That's it's really true. It's it's two words like, you didn't know went together. <laughs> high high end, very expensive kites, uh, uh, but the people who worked there happened to also be adults who played Dungeons and Dragons. So they said, "We have a store. We'll also stock some D and D books." Nice. And I would hang out in there a lot and look at the books, but I could not afford them. They were way too expensive. But I would listen to these. I think of them in my mind as old men, but they had to be 35, right? Right. Talk about their playing of uh, role-playing games, and that sounded incredible, but they were not going to play with a child, and I only lightly understood what was being described. Uh, one day, I suckered my mother on a trip far from home to buying me a copy of the Dungeon Master's Guide, not realizing you can't play the game with that book. <laughs> so this would have been the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Dungeon right. Master's Guide. Uh, and I read it and loved it and only lightly understood it, but it does not tell you how to make a character. It does not tell you how the game is played at the table. It does not do a lot of the things you really need to play. Uh, so I pretended I knew how to play and would gather people around me, and we were 100% doing it wrong. Oh, that's and, amazing. Uh, did that for years until I got my hands on my first non-D&D book, which was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness very nice which was uh very formative and that book was one book that had every rule you yep. needed so we played some of that where we could actually play the game uh and then that turned into kind of a lot of rifts which i know we never played correctly champions which i know we never played correctly <laughs> games games with, with the real spreadsheet games right yeah uh and then in junior high uh a a substitute teacher I'll never forget by the name of Doug Hanna, who was like the cool substitute teacher. Like he was like the young guy fresh out of college, like right. blonde and like six foot six and could dunk. <laughs> and we all thought he was the coolest guy in the world. Saw me in class screwing around with D and D stuff and said, Oh, I used to play D and D. Uh, if you ever want to play sometime. And I took him up on it and me and a bunch of my friends played D and D with this like teacher Get out for years and it was the first time we played correctly and he ran us through a campaign that he had run when he was you know a younger man and it was the first time we like played a campaign where we leveled up and yeah. really like did it for real and walked away from the table with stories where it feel like something that had happened to us right <laughs> and it was so important to me and doug has since passed away but boy oh boy oh, like no he really he, he changed my whole life just by saying he's going to play D&D with a bunch of Isn't that seventh funny? graders. Yeah. Good Lord. And he, he probably would have been kicked out of the school if he tried to do that today, invite a bunch of boys over to his house to play. Yeah. And, you know, this would have been just at sort of the, the satanic panic was winding down. Wow. Like it was just loose embers. But uh, like I was like collecting D&D books deep enough into the satanic panic that I had once loaned them to a friend whose father burned them all. Literally wow. took them in the backyard and burned all my books because I had, it was a satanic influence and it was 
I don't know, at the time, $150 worth of books, which may as well have been a million dollars in books. A million. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And there was nothing I could do because it was an adult. Oh, <sighs> good Lord. So that was high school, Clinton. Um, how, what was next for you? Because uh, this is usually the part of the story for a lot of people where they're like, you know, then I stepped away and took a You're break. Exactly right. Did you keep playing or did you also do that? No, a, a year's long break. Didn't wow. really play anything for the first handful of years of my extended collegiate career. <laughs> uh, and then I changed colleges and moved in with a guy who I was in that D&D game with me in That's junior funny. high high school who had moved away to another college and found he had joined a uh, a Mind's Eye Theater Vampire the Masquerade live action <sighs> role play group, which at the University of Michigan was huge. No like, kidding. Triple digit players played all over the campus in the student union, like a very and like multiple people, like very organized professional role play. And for those listening that that weren't around when this was happening, like this was serious shit. Like this was a big deal. And the and the people that did this, like they weren't kidding around. Like this Not was a all. lifestyle. So I uh moved in with a guy who was already a gaming buddy and he was a part of this group and I was like, well, let's see what this is all about. And the first session a a man in a bunch of eye makeup wearing a mesh shirt with a uh, electrical tape on his nipples jumped out from the shadows and went hello and I was like too rich for me and then I left and never played again <laughs> lines of veils lines of veils <laughs> uh, so uh, now I would uh, be absolutely like entertained to uh, engage that man in a conversation right. about his uh, his La Sombra anti tribu whatever nonsense he was engaged in. Uh, but at the time, I was like, mm, I'm not, uh, I'm, not, I'm not yet fully uh, grown into myself enough. Exactly. To, <laughs> I got some shit to figure out before engage. I can do this. <laughs> However, out of this group of players in this LARP, they were also tabletop players, and I met a lot of those guys who've become like my lifelong gaming friends. That cool. And even stranger, the guy who was like our forever GM, who also ran that LARP. Uh, had come from Iowa City, and which has its own gaming culture. The, the Midwest is really just gaming central, and it really there's is. these little pockets, and Iowa had their own, and he was came from this sort of route where they were GURPS players. Mm. So he infected sort of this group of, I don't know, maybe 15 of us uh, with being GURPS players, where we all learned this one rule set, which meant that we could then play anything. Right. Yeah. So for a long time, I would say 80% of what we played was GURPS, but in every genre, in, in one shots, in campaigns, and like we did Westerns, we did horrors, we did, we ran a series of games where we had made ourselves as <laughs> characters and based them all around a diner in town where the only rule was they were one shots you played yourself and it had to start at this diner and then we oh, traded cool. being the game master uh, like this was a very intense like gaming culture and some of my best friends to this day who are all still gaming uh, yeah. and it was i think the the freedom of running every kind of game changed my idea of what role playing was like if you told people if you tell people who had D, it's tells people what your fantasy world looks like. Right. But if you tell people you play GURPS, you're not telling them anything about nope. what you're doing. Other than it's impossible to own every source book. 
Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I and mean, we're going to have a whole segment on GURPS, but um, I was a big GURPS player too, Clint. Um, yeah. Big GURPS player. And I remember, um, and I actually talked to Steve Jackson about this, like I would buy source books knowing I would never run them just oh, because course. they were so yeah. good. Yeah, it's true. Uh, you know, and GURPS would hire some of the best game designers <gasps> in the business, you big know. Time. Yep. Uh, and, the, it, their, and their game philosophy was just so different because there was only in a few limited instances was there a, a world attached to it. Yep. What they were willing, it was they were tool sets, uh, which uh, there's something exciting about walking into a, a workshop and not being told what to make. Just you can look around and see what tool inspires you. Yeah, and I would argue because it was a little bit different than the hero system, you know, the champion's hero system, because yes. then you were it was still like you are the star, you are the big character, the 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 hero tale. Whereas in GURPS, that wasn't always the case. I mean, you no. there were source books where it's just like you're just a schmo. And I don't know if we'd seen that before. Yeah, like the, the, the when they tell you how to make a GURPS character, they're telling you it's like 60 to 100 points. And yep. that means you are a slightly talented human, right? Uh, like like a, a doctor at the ER has 100 right, points, right? Because right? he's good at something. <laughs> um, that is very uh, specific to GURPS. Like, all, everything else is extra. That's cool. So, um, boy, you get into GURPS. You, you found a you know a core group in the Midwest that you're playing with. Um, normally, this is where I move to the next segment. But you, your tale is very, very interesting to me because... Um, you know, where you ended up. So walk me through what's next for you from a career standpoint. Um, when do you end up heading out west? Oh, pure uh, random happenstance. So I had a uh, quarter life crisis slash catastrophic breakup. Oh, that, yeah. That put me in a, a headspace where I was like, I'm going to pack a bag and go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally moved to the city where I found the cheapest apartment, $100 a week, uh, which was Seattle, Washington. Wow. And uh, I lived in this illegal squat in Seattle for a while, uh, t- hoping to make a living as an you know, um, independent music journalist. In the days of print media, if you remember that existing. Yeah. Uh, and free weeklies, the thing that used to be a thing uh, as well, you know, like a... Like a Village Voice or a, you oh, know, right, a, right, you yeah. know, an L.A. Weekly. The things that yep. you know used to be everywhere and now good luck finding one. Um, so like they, they would hire you to do those sort of things, you know, making uh, you know, $50 every 300 words and reviewing uh, bad local albums and whatnot. Uh, I was like, I can do this for a while. Uh, at the same time, however, uh, I was given an opportunity to uh, come down to Los Angeles because my little sister happens to be an actress oh okay but was not an actress in la she was a stage actress on the east coast who got booked in her first tv show that tv show moved her to los angeles and in los angeles uh she was one of the last people cast so they just put her up in a hotel and had her start working immediately right and she had been working for a while uh but living in this hotel and the studio told her get out of this hotel find an apartment <laughs> and a car so we can stop driving you everywhere <laughs> But she was working, you know, 16 hours a day. So she said, uh, come on down to L.A., find me in an apartment in a car and, you know, see see what a TV set's like. Isn't that funny? And I was like, that sounds great. So uh, I came down for what was meant to be a two-week vacation to Los Angeles. 
on day two, the little job I was working called and let me go on the second day I was in town. <laughs> Jesus. On day three, I was eating the free food on her set. And I wow. went and uh, sat at one of the lunch tables. The only one that seemed to have empty seats, which had a bunch of like generic older men at it. And I sat down there and they said, oh, what do you do? And I'd never been on a set before. These were all the producers of the show. And the question they were asking me was, who are you and why are you eating our food? <laughs> right. And I didn't hear the question correctly. So I was like, oh, man, it's so nice to have people ask about me. I just lost my job. I was like, it's funny you ask. I was doing this yesterday, but now I'm out of a job. And <laughs> by the end of that conversation, uh, I'd gotten a job as a PA at Paramount. Um, so How fu- like, like, it, God, there's so many ways that story could have ended, dude. I know. I could have been asked to leave the set. Like security. Oh, my sister's actually on the show. I'm a guest. But, oh, God. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then I didn't go back to Seattle for seven years. I didn't empty that apartment out. Yeah. I did not see the girl who I'd been uh, on a handful of dates with again. I like just didn't go back for yeah. a really long time. I did you love it, though? I mean, did you like do you like that world? Did you like working in that world? Loved it immediately. So, Oh, no kidding. Um, it is... Uh, it was unlike anything I'd ever done. Like I was, I did not arrive as a, you know, a fresh faced 20 year old. Right. I, I had had adult jobs. I knew what it was to work hard. And I think that actually did me well because what it meant is I was the, the standard production day in film and television is 12 hours. That's the assumed length of a day. And they frequently run long. And even 12 hours means somebody gets there before and somebody leaves after. And I was in a city where I knew no one. And had no obligations, so I could work, yeah, forever. And I had already had a, you know, years and years of working adult jobs, and I could do it. And once you've shown you can do that, you will keep getting hired. So <laughs> I didn't go back to Seattle because by the time I finished that job, I was asked to stay for another TV show, and I stayed. That's for awesome. TV show. By the time that one was over, I stayed in another TV show, and then on that next TV show, I was hanging out. And uh, to anybody who would ask, I would say, "Oh, I don't really live in LA. I'm leaving <laughs> soon." Right. And they'd say, "What do you do?" And I'd say, "I'm a writer." And then on that show, uh, it happened to be that the writer, the one of the writers on that said, well, I'm going to go show run a show next season. Do you want to come and work in the writer's room as, as an assistant, not as a writer? Right. And uh, I was like, yeah, let's do that. And then that jumped me out of sort of working in the office of these shows to working in the writer's room. And that show ran for five seasons, but I was only on it for yeah, two and a half, three. Um, that was Friday Night Lights. Right. And uh, while I Which was there, there's a trivia question aside, uh, assigned to that, is there not? Uh, do there's a that there was a character? Oh, that, there are two, uh, oh, yes, there are two characters on Friday Night Lights named after me. <laughs> um, uh, in the first seasons, the kids who run the convenience store are named Clint and Jamie. We were the two assistants. Uh, and then in later seasons, literally, they got the old, mean, jolly white man who's uh, the like superintendent of the school. Well, or the vice principal. The vice principal of the school is named Vice Principal Clint Trucks. It's so amazing. <laughs> so he's, I'm like the bad guy on that show. Um, <laughs> That's funny. So you finish up with Friday Night Lights. Uh, while at Friday Night Lights, I met a producer named John Cameron, who had produced the film Friday Night Lights and was a producer on the TV show. And he was going to uh, work in film. And I went to interview with John, and John turned out to be one from Michigan, where I'm from. Uh, two, a comic book nerd. Three, had grown up with Sam Raimi and made the Evil Dead and 
he and I just caught on like a house on fire. I bet. So then uh, that actually took me out of working at Friday Night Lights where I was like, I'm just going to hitch my wagon to this guy and go make cool stuff. John also had been the producer uh, of, uh, he did, I think, maybe nine Coen Brothers movies. And in my mind, there there is no greater uh, sort of artistic living duo than the Coen Brothers. I, I yeah. couldn't love them more. So that uh, put me in the proximity of the Coen Brothers camp. And I went and assisted uh, a producer named Bob Graff, who had become the current Coen Brothers assistant and did some films with Bob. And while working with Bob, I did a movie called uh, Paul, which was a sci-fi comedy uh, with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, where they pick up an alien voiced by Seth Rogen. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, It's it's a funny movie. Seek it out. I'm actually in it briefly. (laughs) Um, I'm going to do that. But uh, you can't miss me. I'm right in the middle of the screen at a Comic-Con scene. So on that, I got to sort of use my turbo nerd skills, and they had me produce sort of the opening and closing sequences of the film, which are at a Comic-Con recreation. So Very nice. But when I did that, they let me give myself my own credit. So when I gave myself my own credit... Uh, I did not come up with it. We In this scene, we had actually hired a sort of then not super billionaire uh, Robert Kirkman, creator of The Walking Dead, was in the movie playing himself. And I was like, what should I credit myself as? And he said, executive comic book industry liaison. And I said, <laughs> great. So if you look at IMDb, that is my credit on Paul, executive oh, comic book funny. industry liaison. Uh, and that sort of put me uh, in the world of like nerd adjacent consultory. Interesting. And uh, I've done some of that, but at the whole time, uh, I then started doing, forgive me. This is, this origin story this is, is fantastic. too long. Keep Please stop me at any no, point. No, I, I, that's my job. Okay. Uh, well, while working in development for John Cameron, uh, I, uh, a script came in from a writer who I, we also hit it off. I liked all the same things. And, uh, he and I decided to make this little pilot script of his, uh, on our own. And we had to start a company to do it. So I had to start a company with this gentleman, and that put me in the world of being an independent producer. Right. And then once I was an independent producer, began, like, I was, uh, my other sort of great passion is comedy. So uh, once I landed in Los Angeles, my sort of social and entertainment circles uh, outside of, like, my direct day job were all based around a couple comedy clubs. Uh, the, the Operate Citizens Brigade Theater, which had just opened the month I got to L.A., and a, a supper club called Largo. And to this day, sort of all my sort of great industry friendships uh, had come out of those places. We, I hired for the first pilot I was doing as an independent producer, I hired a bunch of UCBers uh, and uh, comedy folks. And one day on set, one of them, uh, Thomas Middleditch, said, I've always wanted to play role-playing games. And I said, oh, no problem. And then... <laughs> what like, context does that come well, up in? Well, it, 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 well, Thomas is super nerdy. I promise you, it oh, was okay. apropos of nothing. Gotcha. Thomas, Thomas is nerdy in all kinds of ways and also does not half-ass anything. Uh, but I think what he actually said is, I want to play D&D. And at the time, I was very anti-D&D. I, was, uh, <laughs> I, I, I would say D&D like is all for the cool children. Kids. Yeah, right? <laughs> this would, like, there's no 5th edition at this point. 5th edition, I think, is a... A beautiful edition, well-designed, and a perfect entree for anyone to enter the hobby. Nothing bad to say about 5th uh, edition D&D. Um, however, don't only play D&D, I say. Um, but I instead uh, forced 
all all these comedians to <laughs> play fucking GURPS. That's amazing. <laughs> so I ran a multi-year GURPS campaign with a bunch of people, lar- larger people from the comedy community. Yeah. That would have been at the, this would have been in the very early days of like uh, the Nerdist web content and uh, Critical Role. Right. Uh, we were asked to uh, see if we wanted to do our fantasy GURPS campaign as a Nerdist podcast. And I was like, no way. This is just for me. <laughs> uh, and now I look at these critical rollers who don't have to have other jobs. Oh, they all do. But <laughs> I was like, what was I doing? And then so pretentious, was, Clint. I know. But, uh, and, and, and to be fair, all the players are like, we think it's cool. Let's do it. I think I was scared to perform because I was the game yeah. master. I didn't want to. Uh, be the voice of a world because I yeah. consider myself a performer in that way. Right. Um, uh, then in yeah, if we're just racing to Stream of Blood, sure. Uh, uh, I met Jared Logan through comedy, uh, and while in the back of a comedy club in New York City one day, Jared and I, Jared was wearing a T-shirt that sparked a conversation about nerdy stuff that turned into the fact that he was a game master, and then. One day, Jared moved to Los Angeles, and when he did, he said, let's game. And we started another gaming group with Jared oh, as no our kidding. forever DM. I don't yeah. think I knew that. Okay. Yeah. So, game for years. And then a global pandemic happened, and we uh, were in the, like, really, like, the, the third act, like, <laughs> most exciting portion of a... D&D campaign and we couldn't imagine not playing but we also all thought the world was going to end and we were going to die and how we're going to make this yeah. happen so we're like all right i guess playing online is how you do it uh and then uh they sort of the last piece we needed was brian baldinger who is the other producer of stream of blood who is a very talented producer in his own right and works in the comedy world and uh is a the head currently of starburns audio a podcast network he said, we need to do this as a thing online. And yep. it just so happened, pandemic-wise, we all had the time to do it. <laughs> so we're like, all right, well, what would we do that's just for us? And now, you know, 170 episodes later, uh, and uh, we all have our, we all have T-shirts, which is the thing we're all most excited about. Uh, stream, stream of what seems to be real. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not surprised. And, you know, God damn it, I'm going to take some credit, not because I like helped in any way. Like I called it. I remember watching what you guys were doing very early on. And I'm like, I can't believe there's only seven people watching the stream right now. Like, yeah. I can't believe like this has not been found yet. And to see what you guys have done in the explosion and popularity and borderline scary cult following that you've picked up. <laughs> I mean, it, it, the, the fans are so passionate and, and just like, just like glass cannon network has done, you guys yeah. have done this great job of just, like-minded curated by content community that's been built. Sure. Uh, you know, I will, it starts with, uh, we didn't expect an audience to show up. So we were playing a game for our players really. So whatever the players thought was cool or we thought was cool was what was doing it. And, uh, when an audience did show up that we were self-selecting just by virtue of content. Right. Yeah. If you were not interested in what we were doing, 
we weren't going to switch to D&D 5e <laughs> for you. Uh, and we also didn't have a background in watching other actual play content Interesting. at all. Um, not because we disliked it. Like I would sometimes dip in if I was trying to learn a game mm-hmm. uh, and, and still will. But like Critical Role is four hours long plus, And I simply didn't have the space to engage in games that long. So we made a point of like, how long is a game to keep us interested? And we, the first thing we said, by the way, was an hour, <laughs> which <laughs> is impossible. And you yeah, can't tell us, we, we, we can't tell a story at least that fast. Uh, two hours we've decided is the stream of blood sweet spot. It will run a little long, but yep. it just changes the storytelling and, and for us makes it incredibly dynamic because we move fast and we, uh, really focus on end in a place where we wish we, we the players wish we kept going. And that's what happens when the cameras shut off. Every player is like, I wish we were still playing, which is what we are hoping for. Yeah, and I've that's actually something that I have learned watching you guys, um, and I've gotten better about is, is you know you you you've got the window right, so I'm at, I'm at the sweet spot for third floor wars of when I know I'm going to be ending the stream right around the two to three hour mark is my my sweet spot. So all I'm doing is looking for that moment that I can say, and the camera fades to black, and I just want my players to go. Oh! like this you know and i learned that by watching you and jared you know because you guys have gotten are very good at finding that moment so uh i I am probably somebody who would i love a sticking in a moment and jared is a all gas gm so that is truly jared uh and and i and he's right he's just right like as a person who is like in there helping craft the story or just running it in the background and you know talking to the players while we play I am I am fully engaged. So That's I cool. think uh, the speed of our games is something that uh, I think is great and was strictly from Jared's chair. Right. Right. All right. So I've got a million questions. Sure. Um, let's start with um, going back and you not in, in a derogatory way, hopping around. Right. And just kind of finding a new thing and happening to be at the right place at the right time and, and having the, the, the work ethic and the skills, you know, to fulfill that opportunity. Sure. Learning um, the skills as I went, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was there any gaming happening there? Um, were you encountering gaming or were you just too goddamn busy? No, I'd say my first few years in L.A., there was no gaming happening in L.A. until that first game with Thomas. Got it. But uh, the entire time I had kept my group, my community and group of friends and players back in the Midwest. Oh, okay. And uh, they had kind of made a point as we all kind of graduated, moved away and grew up to uh, keep playing. Everyone who stayed local, stayed as a group. And then for everybody else, twice a year, we would go somewhere in the country uh, that is a simple flight and stay in someone's house and everybody sleeps on the floor or rent a house and just play for four days. So we do that for twice a year. So I still very much am tied into those guys. I wish I could play with them more than I do. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I do something similar. I've got a camping for gamers and here in Raleigh, just outside of Raleigh, uh, twice a year, go camping. And we all we do is freaking board games and card games all day. We role play at night. We do it for five days and everybody's sleeping there. So none of you sons of bitches are going anywhere. Nobody's wife's calling and, you know, nobody can bring a laptop. And it's that same type of thing. And, and in some way, you talk about sleeping on the floor. It's kind of like recreating something that we did as kids, right? Where you, like I remember entire weekends, like yes. we go to my buddy's house and we would eat dinner. We would play till 4 a.m. We'd sleep. We'd eat breakfast. We would play. And we would yeah. eat. We would play, and you would just a whole goddamn weekend. And that, that's the place where I like sometimes I don't want to play a two hour game. Right. There's the thing where uh, like when we were wrapping up our epic D&D 5e campaign that Jared was running at sort of at the end of pandemic. What like this is even pre vaccine. So not even the end of pandemic. We're like. We're at the end, and we refuse to like get to the end of this over Zoom, right? Yeah. So we all committed to getting COVID tests and hard like quarantining for two weeks. That's and amazing. then all went up to a house in Lake Arrowhead, California, and finished the campaign in person over a weekend. And by the end of it, no joke. People were crying. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> when the game when the game was over, all yep. we did was tell the story of the game back to each other around the table. Like it really like and that's the thing you don't do in two hours on a stream. But I like I'm I'm very passionate about the hobby and the, the form of storytelling that role playing represents. And like the, those relationships happen uh at the table. And it's unique to role playing. I don't know. I mean, I love board games. I love war games, you know, um, 40K, Malifaux, stuff yeah. like that. But it's it's unique to role playing. It's that shared storytelling, that shared mythology. You just don't see it anywhere else. Yeah. And also it's um, it kind of it, it can turbocharge uh, your intimacy or friendship with somebody because how often well, uh, for viewers of our Vampire the Masquerade game, Vampires of Pittsburgh, like the intensity of conversation that that game elicits yeah like also like off channel like connects the players to each other because yeah. they've got real <laughs> with each other in a way you would never uh in a casual acquaintance yeah it um it's fascinating so um during all of this time, you you know, working on all kinds of different projects and stuff like this, um, this is kind of a cliche question, but I don't care. I'm going to ask it to you anyway. Biggest starstruck moment, like where you're just like, holy shit. Oh, uh, well, there have been a handful, I guess, but it's never quite who you think. Like, yeah. uh, like I, I worked on a couple of Coen Brothers movies and I still like uh, I'm not friends with the Coen Brothers. <laughs> I've been in a room a handful of times. Uh, but I, I don't know. They're goddamn geniuses. I, I really, it's, could, it, that's a good hero them. worship, man. Yeah. Um, or because I was working for a, uh, a guy who came from the world of Sam Raimi and went to high school with Bruce Campbell. I've gotten to hang out with Bruce Campbell a number of times. That's really, Oh my God. Yeah, that's a big that deal. That was a big one for me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I have, I have more stories about the person who I thought was going to be cool who was awful than me. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, yeah. like part of me wants to ask you that question, but that's a shit thing to ask, and it's something you don't want to talk about. So <laughs> it's it's also it's it's unfair to celebrities because very much so they don't have any expectation of Good meeting call. you. Good call. So it's not fair to have somebody say they didn't meet my expectations because they're just living their lives. 
That's a really good, you know, it's very fun. I've never thought about that. I've never, never thought about that. And it, um, yeah, that's a, I've never thought about it as being unfair. That's a great way to put it, man. Great way to put it. Um, Uh, being famous is miserable. Like I I honestly believe that. So, uh, they're dealing with their own, (laughs) uh, terrible annoyances. They don't have the fear of making their rent, but, uh, they have their ego tied up in their job more than almost anybody who ever will. So meaning they are more sensitive than almost anybody who you're going to meet over the course of a day. Uh, there's so a lot it, going on. Yeah. So at some point, um, and just because I became aware of it doesn't mean this is when it happened, but at some point geek culture became chic, um, in entertainment. Right. And it I was, it was happen around me. I was, well, that's where I'm headed because yeah. like it's, it, 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 I remember like it went from geeks and freaks, you know, uh, the side character that, um, is the, you know, the, the, the butt of the joke to, to something else. And I, I just, I remember like, for me, it was just like, Oh wait, this is all changed. And I couldn't go with the progression. Like, I'd love to hear your, your like feeling on what, what happened there. Oh, I did watch it happen in real time. Uh, so I, I moved to LA with a 60 to $150 a week comic book habit. And nice. I would, yeah. <laughs> the, the kind of comic book habit that has storage issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but what that meant is, you know, every Wednesday you are in the comic book store and you get to see the other people who are also there on new comic day. And, uh, you, some of them are people from the world of entertainment and you will sort of like, Okay, see who's actually into this, right? Right. Like you go in there, and uh, at my home store, like John Singleton, the director, was like in there every week. Like there, you know, the people who are real readers. But then I would slowly start to see people who were the assistants at agencies who were coming in to buy all the books, like not for themselves, right? Buy buy them in and take them to work. And yeah. then I was, you know, a few years after that, working in development film and television development and uh having experiences where uh a niche indie book that i was like i think this is cool and we should look into it by the time i've reached out to the creators they were like yeah caa called me the <laughs> i sold that two years out, ago right <laughs> so there's 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 a fair bit of that yeah you know or um as i say uh, working on that film paul which had like blinking you'll miss him robert kirkman in the film yeah he he was on our set when he got the call that amc was making the walking dead which had at that point been in various forms of development at various places for years but uh and i think and i think that was an inflection point like there are a bunch i agree um but that was that was an inflection point where the biggest show on television bar none period full stop and by you know a huge measure is based on a an independent comic book, not just comic mm-hmm. book, and the show that is dedicated to only talking about that show is the biggest talk show in the world. I didn't know that. The Talking Dead got like had way more viewers than the Tonight Show. Isn't that something? Wow. So I I did watch the turn happen. I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily because I think. The people who work in uh, comics and role playing and some of the uh, the the niche, oh, no, I mean they're they're growing less niche, obviously. Those people are underpaid, uh, un- underrespected, undercredited. Like, 
uh, the uh, Ed Brubaker, who wrote the Winter Soldier storyline for uh, um, Captain America. Dude, I could nerd uh, out on Brubaker with you right now, but I'm not going to. Oh, I love him. I love him. <laughs> uh, you know, there, I met Brubaker once, and I did get oh. a little like, oh. <laughs> um, uh, he, I don't even know if he'd remember it. I was, I was producing a show at he Largo. Had no expectation. Yeah, I was, I was producing like a, a live, a live show, and he had come in to be in the audience, and I was like, oh my god. Um, but uh, so he wrote the Winter Soldier storyline, uh, which became, to my mind, my favorite Marvel movie. Um, and uh, I don't know. He, I, I think I've heard him say he made more on the residuals for the one line they gave him when they put him in the movie than he ever made. <laughs> You know, That's writing so the book, and believe. of course, she doesn't get, own any portion of it. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, uh, I, I remember interviewed Dennis Detweiler, who's the uh, one of the who's the main artist and uh, one of the designers behind um, Delta Green, and uh, he started in comic books. Um, and and true Dennis Detweiler fashion, he's like, you know, screw all y'all, all you guys are a bunch of idiots because you're working this hard for for no money. And um, I've talked to a couple people, Clint, and like to this day, the rates writers get for writing for role playing games like hasn't changed in twenty years, which is just shocking. Well, now we're getting to the problem with our entire economic system and culture, where yeah. uh, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, the the price of our the value of our currency falls while rent goes up and the cost yep. of education goes up. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to uh, ruin your show by preaching the revolution. <laughs> but when we start putting people against the wall, let me know. <laughs> I'll let you know when my order of guillotines come in and then you can come over and hang out. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, guys, the Insider Insight series is my opportunity to sit down <laughs> with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators and learn how they approach their work. I try and understand their process, inspiration, and methods for crafting their creations. And with Clint, we're going to do that. We kind of did that already, talking about Stream of Blood. But um, I got to tell you, man, one of the biggest things I wanted to have you on here was just to freaking talk games. So let's take a quick break. And I really want to talk about GURPS because I know you love it and I love it. We'll be right back. Oh, I have a lot of feelings. Are you a tabletop RPG player that is considering becoming a game master? Are you a veteran GM that is always looking for different ways to improve your games? GM Mastermind is an RPG podcast that tackles topics catering to the art of game mastering. But Craig, there are a lot of RPG podcasts that do that. Perhaps. But GM Mastermind has the brain trust. It's a guest panel made up of two to three game masters from different backgrounds and experiences that share their personal insights on a particular topic. This keeps the conversation fresh, diverse, and insightful from one episode to the next. So head over to gmmastermind.com or subscribe to GM Mastermind wherever you find your favorite podcasts. How did um, how'd you end up with uh, tying that guy? Just out of curiosity. Would you believe that the first person I met when I got off the airplane in Los Angeles was Wes Chatham? <laughs> uh, he 
He his first TV show was my sister's first TV show. No kidding. And I met met him the day I got off the plane. He now he's somebody that like like there's a certain list of people that I I, I don't know how I would react if I met him in person. <laughs> and uh, Wes is one of them. Uh, and I don't know there's just something about him. I'm yeah, just like Wes is great. Like he's yeah. he's he's one of those guys who if you see him in the airport, 100% say hello. You will get a hug. Like, oh, that's cool. He's great. Yeah, he comes off that way. Um, but the, the and it's it's amazing the chemistry that the two of them have on that show. Yeah, given that uh, Ty is a robot. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, that's funny. <laughs> I, I, you know, I uh, I'm constantly trying to rope Ty because Ty has a role playing game background. I'm always yeah. trying to sort of pull him in. And I ran years ago a single session of Apocalypse World with Ty and Wes as players. Get out. And it was really fun. But uh, when I every time I'm like, hey, Ty, you want to come play on the channel? He's like, I play role playing games for me. I don't play them for other people. He's where I was <laughs> 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> so is that myth about the expanse? Coming from uh, a session of role playing or a campaign of role playing, is that a myth? Not a myth, but slightly more complicated. Yeah. He was hired to uh, create a world for, I believe, like a very nascent MMORPG. And he started to create this setting. In creating that setting, it turned into sort of a play by mail, not but not post, like a, like forum kind of stuff. Like, uh, where people would tell him what they're doing on their turn. He would write back what happened. Uh, and sort of in that process, it became a very fleshed out world. Then I believe he got the job working for George R. R. Martin and moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico and started a role-playing group where I think they were playing D20 Modern. Nice. It's uh, a good system. Yeah. Also, like I feel like a quickly forgotten system, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, better moment. than any version of D and D, in my opinion. And and you know, it's it's D and D trying to get close to GURPS a little bit, right? Yep. Um, yep. But so that was a in the world of the Expanse, one hundred percent was like what the Expanse became, and one of the players in that was Daniel Abrams or Abramson. Uh, and the story, I, as it's told to me, is every time Daniel asked a question about the world, Ty had an answer. He's like, oh, you've already done all the work to write a book. Let's just write a book. And the book was based enough on the sessions of that game that, uh, like, Miller and um, Holden were people's player characters. I heard that, yeah. Um, And, you know, uh, people like Shed, the doctor, like, gets his head blown off in the first season. Like, that was somebody's player. Like, oh, that's so cool. They, so at least the, the roots of it are from that game. They, I, I think they ran out of those stories very, very quickly. Oh, I'm sure. And, yeah. yeah. But the entire world was developed with the idea of people are going to engage with it in every direction. So I need to fill it out in every direction the way yeah. you do a role playing game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it um, it's critical to me how involved they are in that, because um, as much as I enjoyed their books, I will argue that the show has exceeded the books and you don't i don't say that very often emotionally i would agree with you yeah 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 i think that um i have not disagreed with a single change that they've made and uh, there's there's things that the, that sh- the show brings and it's a different different medium right so it's yeah. not the same thing uh it's just very rare that i go you know what i think i like the show better um i think i would recommend the show before the book yeah it's been asked of like we've, we've tried to do some q a stuff on the um 
podcast and people have been like, uh, is there anything from the show that you're mad they changed, Ty? And the answer has really only been like things that are impossible on a show that you can't afford to do. But I think that's the, the genius of that show is Daniel and Ty are in the writer's room, man. So it doesn't get away from them. Um, if they don't like something, they'll say it. Or like very famously, like the reason, like everybody loves Amos as a character. And that took a while to get to because what had to happen was somebody else would write the script and then Ty would go in and do an Amos pass and be like, you don't understand the ways he's you you see he's a broke he's broken and capable of violence but you you think he's broken and violent it's not the same thing and you had to do like this kind of sort of scrub to be like because amos doesn't take pleasure in the violence uh amos uh it's it's all to an end right and that's something that's really neat about listening to to your podcast with them because you you pick up those kernels right they're they're both ty is really good about you know revealing that and i remember when he he said that story a few times in different pieces right yeah and but i remember the first time i heard it i was like that's why he's my favorite character and that's why not only is he my favorite character in the book because he, he they present a stereotype Right. So even yeah. in the book, you're like, this is the stereotype. And on the show, Wes just fucking kills it. He kills it. Um, and you're and like, Amos okay. on the show is a little different even. You know, he like, is. Like, like Amos in the book is gruffer and yep. uglier. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like he's like a like when people see him, they're all like, that guy looks like he would hurt me. No one thinks that when they see Wes. No. Right. No. And, 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 I, and another example where I like show Amos better than book Amos. And I loved book Amos. Right. Yeah. But, um, it, it did such a good job of taking a stereotype. And then as the show develops and my wife watches this, and my wife hates the shit. And she like, she loves the show because they do it so good. All right. So I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I'm with you. It's one of the great shows to recommend to people. Everybody, it really is. It's the thing. It started on sci-fi and it starts pretty dense. Right. Yep. So, but if there's, if you can get any degree of buy-in from a viewer, like it's a show that wants you to be, to understand and be interested and engaged. Yep. It is not. Uh, it's it is a show that is sci-fi, but it is not nerdy because its interests are political, not technical. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's got that. It's got that Asimov Foundation feel to it in a lot of ways, which and, I'm also very excited about. The new Foundation. Oh, dude, I, I'm I'm equally excited and scared, but everything yeah. I'm seeing makes me less scared, more excited. That we're we're living in a year where we're going to get to see Foundation and Dune done with budgets can you imagine what an old nerd utopia we've woken up in i mean i say this a million times on the show i'm like had you told me blank right had you told me they were going to make a thor movie you know when i was reading thor as a kid i would have laughed at you unbelievable doctor strange iron man for christ's sake yeah like who would have thought iron man is going to be the biggest movie like and and will change change the industry change filmmaking entirely Exactly. Yeah. And the guy that brings that to it, oh, he's going to get Star Wars, too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just the guy that brings this to us was the fat guy from uh, PCU. <laughs> was, exactly. uh, you know? Oh, God, it's amazing. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. Um, so a story that I've brought up a million times, listeners are tired of it, um, is my gap, right? My 20 year gap of not playing role playing games. Um, so in high school into college, it was GURPS, GURPS, GURPS. I'd given up every, played a bunch of stuff, given it all up because same way you, uh, just like, shit, I can do everything. And the quality of the source books that were coming out, like I ran everything, Western, Star Wars, everything, you know, in GURPS. Um, when I came back, 
the whole industry had changed. The art of role playing had completely changed. But I want to go back to my love of GURPS. And like, I think you're the only person I've really met and talked to that, like, I think you like GURPS more than I do. Well, here's the thing. The, as you say, the, the art of role playing has changed. And I, I've, I have a really like profound appreciation for the work being done right now. Or, you know, Jared has said a thing uh, in public that I fully agree with that um, Blades in the Dark is like the best designed role playing game of the last 20 years. And that is a game that has like an anti GURPSist philosophy, <laughs> right? It is, it is very, you can, it is a game built to play in a certain way. I think GURPS will never tell you how to play, right? It is a game with a world built in. GURPS only in the rarest of circumstances bothered to give you a world. Um, But with that uh, degree of specificity, uh, it means that players are on the same page much faster. It means that systems are refined. The problem with GURPS is I described it as a, you know, a tool chest. It's too big a tool chest. And the, you learn as an experienced GURPS uh, game master or player Step one is what tools are we using? Don't look at the other ones. Uh, and I think people get overwhelmed and they think if GURPS has a rule for it, I have to use it. And that is the impossible and the wrong way to like, it will slow your game down. What you need to say is what kind of game are we playing today? And what are the tools we need to play the game? And that's GURPS. Unfortunately, uh, is so freeform, it doesn't tell you that either, because that is, to a degree, telling you too much how to play the game, <laughs> right? Yeah, and it, I mean, it was it was way ahead of its time. I mean, defined a, a whole concept of role playing. I'd be curious though, how? I mean, so when I talk to people who play GURPS, this is there's a there's a spectrum of crunch, right? Uh, and I'd be curious to know how crunchy was your GURPS? So by the end, when I was running GURPS myself. Uh, largely for a long-running fantasy game, uh, it was not tremendously crunchy uh, because I wanted it to go fast. It became crunchier. It was a game where I knew that I wanted to introduce players to the system and to systems as we went along. So you start them as kids. All they need is the core book. Then they learn magic, and then we add a book. Then they, you know, one of them decides he wants to be a duelist. We add a book. Well, like, so... uh, and that is one of the beauties of GURPS too, right? It literally is, what is it you like? We're just adding these elements slowly. Um, however, when we played in with my gaming group in Ann Arbor, uh, it was almost everybody was, uh, I would say, journeyman or better uh, in, with GURPS, which means that characters were incredibly complicated. And it was largely about, I had a crazy idea. How do I make it work? which is also one of the beauties of GURPS. Like there is no idea you have that the system can't find multiple ways to uh, implement. So then the uh, at that point where you're everybody's good at the system, it's being elegant, right? Uh, so when someone came up with a particularly elegant idea, then we were all excited about it. <laughs> uh, um, and so GURPS is a system as you say, not a game. Um, so I, anybody who's like, I don't want to play with, you know, that system or, or anybody who says, I don't like GURPS. I like D and D. It's not the same. It's apples and oranges. I completely agree. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I um, and my view is skewed, I think, Clint, because of how much I loved GURPS, right? And GURPS was multiple years of my life in, in role playing. But like, there's things that I don't think get enough credit um, or where GURPS doesn't get enough credit because I don't remember and have yet to come across as I'm doing this, you know, the series of interviews as I learn the industry, you know, like the concept of disadvantages, I think was was if not first at GURPS, it was the first time it was fully implemented. Um, and you think about how that is like it's everywhere now, right? Sure. Um, and the and crafting I, your disadvantages is the, almost the key part of making your character. It's huge. Right? Yeah, it's absolutely huge. And then the other one that that I think has a huge impact that doesn't get is quirks. Um, so for those of you listening, um, in GURPS, you have points, right? And you build your characters. So you spend points for good stuff, like to make yourself stronger, smarter, pick up skills, things like that. And, you know, let's say you have 100 points. Well, it's very, you spend those 100 points really freaking fast buying all the good stuff. So you have the opportunity to buy disadvantages. Uh, I have one eye. Um, I'm in a wheelchair. I, I'm, I'm missing a leg, you know. Uh, dyslexic was was a disadvantage, you know, you would get. And that would buy you points you could spend elsewhere. Um, and then <laughs> you could get yourself five points by get by giving yourself five what they called quirks each one was worth a point and it would be small stuff like a catchphrase yeah i or, spit on the ground i like exactly. it's just little yeah yeah a little stuff and you're an idiot not to spend it and and it helped define the character um and to your point clint it was like that was the best part about building the character yeah because it's when they became a character right uh i for a long time was very very anti the idea of classes the idea that uh, like what what's your party consist of? Oh, we got a fighter, a cleric, a magic user, and I was like, okay, well, I guess I know everything about who these people are, and I know exactly how they do their jobs. Snooze. Like, instead, the question is when we say who's your party, who are your characters? It starts with like, well, he was born in the <laughs> like, right, and then he picked up this skill, and I think there's something really uh, it it changes the way you think about it. It and, does, and also. Uh, you know, when we say GURPS is a system, not a game, I think GURPS teaches you how game system works, right? GURPS is so stripped down in that respect, you begin to think about things like the bell curve of a, of roles. So when we talk, you know, it's like I, I love the storyteller system. And I love the worlds of World of Darkness and whatnot. I don't love the way dice pools work mathematically in terms of establishing successes and failures and how exciting a critical failure or uh, a critical success can be. Whereas the elegance of 3d6 plus or minus is this just beautiful math of a curve where yep. there are numbers that are going to come up statistically far more often than anything else and numbers that will not. And, and then you can gauge everything of this is easier. This is hard in a very intuitive way. Once you understand how that swing works. Right, exactly. And other systems do it. You can do it with fewer dice, you know, uh, or with, you know, adding adding or removing dice, like a Blades in the Dark, which is assumes, you know, two dice, but some things will add. You, maybe you've got three or you know, dice get added. Yep, yep. Or, 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 or Apocalypse World, you know, it does sure. it with the exact same thing with two dice instead of three. Uh, you know, and it took D&D a while to get there to realize, uh, you know, coming from the world of Thacko, which I also have a, some fondness for, but um, a D20 is a, a super swingy, like it, this, the math is swingy. You are as likely to roll a one as a 20, as likely to roll a 20 as a 10, 
right? It is the 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 probabilities <laughs> are have been flattened in a way that are fun if you're going fast and it's yes. everybody's a superhero and uh, you know you you want to see a bunch of twenties, uh, but you know they they ma- they've managed to with bonuses flat make those make the math work a little bit better a little bit but like you know not to be a math nerd about it um there's an illusion of those bonuses like plus yes. one uh, on a d20 system doesn't mean shit that, no. because it's so swingy exactly yeah yeah no i agree i um i mean i tried d20 it, like you know what d20 system i like have you messed around with the 2d20 system so that would be the modifius's M- yes so yes. conan uh, Dune, uh star trek star trek yep yep uh we we've been doing some games in the background uh at stream of blood we played some conan we have played some dune and uh it's already been announced i think i can talk about it uh our intention is to have a crossover dune campaign with the glass cannon gentlemen and we are deep into that process now where just this week we ran a a test session with each other and it's largely just about system yeah yeah it um it is um it's a hell of a system. Uh, that Dune system, um, much like uh, a couple other games, and we'll talk about them, but I remember when it got announced, I was just like, you know what? I love the books. I actually am a fan of the original movie. Um, wicked looking forward to the new movie. Um, but I, like zero interest in, in gaming in that world. Zero interest. Like it didn't interest It feels me cooked already, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Where, where what, what is there? Exactly. That, that becomes um, the challenge. And, and, they, and they've done a good job in the book of finding a place to put you. But I know what you're saying. But but it's yeah, and, and they did. Boy, they sure have. Um, uh, and I don't I don't don't envy them. I've had some of them come on the show, and I'm just all I do is just praise them because I like I, I like you did what I thought couldn't be done. Like yeah. I want to fucking play Dune. <laughs> <laughs> um, but not only were they place you, but their ability to to cover both sides because Dune isn't about a person. It's not about a central character, and and it's not it's not a hero's journey in the traditional sense. You know, if you're a fan of the books, it's it's multi layered. It's big. It's it's uh, caves of steel and foundation at the same time, and it, all of it matters. And the elegance of of that 2d20 system and the way the modality of how you can play and address stuff shit they like that's that's impressive it's a if we i I love that i can get on here and talk about mechanics the thing that no one else in my life wants to talk about except jared um (laughs) but the idea of uh adding these pools of dice that become communal and are expended to make the game cinematic is really elegant because if it the is. intention is to make a game feel the way reading the books or watching the movies does, if you want to feel like Conan, like Conan, when it's important, can do incredible things, but he, he worked up to it. He didn't do it in the first swing of the fight. And he got right? his ass kicked along the way. And he got his ass kicked along the way. And uh, the also does a thing that's very important is realizing that the game master is playing the game too. So this is this Modifius system really is predicated on making the players very comfortable with giving advantages to the game master, which is not the game master is not the antagonist. But if you're trying to tell an exciting story, give the game master an ability to make the world exciting that doesn't feel like uh, pure fiat or cheating. Yep. yep. So uh, giving threat, I think, is the term in at least one of these games is not a thing you should be scared to do because it makes the game better for everybody. 
it's really neat. And I, and I, you know, the one thing I told Chris when Chris was on the show is I said to him, you know, like what the other thing I love is, um, you can play 2d20. They have Octoon Cthulhu. They've got uh, Star Trek. They've got Conan, Dune, um, uh, Dishonored. Um, I think it's 2d20. They've got several games. The implementation of the threat and momentum, it's the core and the same. It's all in all of them, but, but they're each one of them is tweaked and it's tweaked to fit the game and Big the time. world. And it's not a coincidence that Jay Little, the guy that came up with the narrative dice system that's used by Fantasy Flight Games, first in Warhammer Fantasy and then in the Star Wars games, you can smell Jay Little all throughout that system sure. and that concept of, of threat and, and everything. It's, it, it's fantastic. You know, it's, uh, well, there's the other thing. So I, we gr- growing up reading game books in the 90s, uh, and I... I feel like a number of them were not uh, written to be played, right? I could not agree more. Whereas these games exist at the table. They don't really... Uh, between the covers of a book is only meant to be the map that gets you to... It's the recipe, not the meal. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I think some people don't test their recipes enough, I should say. <laughs> I agree. I guess if, we're gonna, if I'm going to belabor this metaphor, uh, like, the recipe should be... Should assume... Uh, that not every cook has the same skill level or make any uh, assumptions about what's in the kitchen, right? Yeah. Because people have yep. different... Uh, they're bringing... Everybody's bringing something new to the table. And that includes players, right? This is the most collaborative art form I can think of. Um, the players are running the game as much as the game master is running the game in the way I prefer to play anyway. Yeah, I agree. So I, I got a question for you now that we're talking about mechan- mechanics. Um, when I came back to role playing, I was a bit of a grognard at first, right? Because sure. I saw, I saw everything had changed and, you know, um, I saw stuff so prescriptive in Blades in the Dark. I saw, um, you know, the, if you want to play this setting, you need to, you, you need to play this system. If you want to do, play this type of game, you need to play that system. And, I like little old man Shipman at first was like, what, you know, what the hell are you guys doing? That's not how you do it. You know? And of course I'm a convert now. Did you go through that at all? Were you like had girls hangover in some ways? Big time. Uh, so I, I'm like, I say, I was opposed to the idea of classes, which playbooks yeah. in like an apocalypse world, which is sort of one of the predominantly indie sort of modes right now. I was pretty opposed to the idea of being told who my character was and what before your I sat were. down. And what my moves were, right? Yeah. Um, however, uh, it, and it's, this might also just be a function of how much work I want my players to do before they arrive. I actually want my players to do almost no work before they arrive, right? Um, and and I and as I get older, I want to do less and less work <laughs> before I get to the table as well. <laughs> we don't and, have time anymore. <laughs> it's true. De- like designing a GURPS campaign, no joke would take me weeks yeah. like uh i don't know if you can see those binders over there are yeah my father emptying out his garage giving me all my old gurps camp there is a uh a uh what 1910s to modern day streaming nice. uh pulp uh, my comic book universe where it starts where everybody's a pulp character like the shadow moving through like the golden age, bronze age, modern, dark oh, modern nineties, so <laughs> like era of superheroes, so like, but Jesus Christ, like overwritten and designed to within an inch of its life in a way that I 
wouldn't do now, and I don't think serves the game all that well. Because that's the game I wanted to play, but I didn't yep. ask my players what game they wanted to play. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. <laughs> I said, well, come play <laughs> come play the book I wrote. That's not how this hobby, um, I think, best expresses itself if everybody's to walk away feeling like they uh, brought their best self to the story. And that changed. That was not the case. Um, yeah. You go back and look at old white box and and really all the way up and even, you know, even into GURPS, like it was it was the GM's show. And if you want to come, you know, watch the show, please come and, you know, you can here's your script, you know, and you can make a couple choose your own adventures, you know, caves of steel, you know, not caves of steel. Very much. That? Yeah choose your own adventure caves what the hell was that first i can't remember but but it's changed now you know it's collaborative you got player facing dice and things like that um so i know the answer for me um but i want to know what the answer was when what was the what was the game that slapped you right on that where you suddenly realized you know i can i can like yeah they're right like this is right (laughs) i was wrong that's a great question allow me to turn on and look at my shelf and see if anything uh and you don't know how bad I've wanted to pinch zoom your face to go look at your bookshelf. <laughs> um, <laughs> boy, it's hard because that shelf is still a ton of GURPS books. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and it may not have been one game because it was a couple games no. for me, but I'd be curious. Yeah. Well, in terms of uh, a game where the setting is intrinsic. Well, um, where the, you know, or, the setting is intrinsic or it's, you know, it's hyper specific, um, you know, Apocalypse World where like yeah. I'll never forget when I saw Apocalypse World and I'm like, you're you, this is all I can do. That's not yeah. role playing. You know, that kind of attitude. Like I'm trying to get a sense of when you turn because I know you turn the corner the way I did. And I'm trying to get a sense of maybe what what pulled you around. It's not. Uh, it happened more recently than I would like to admit. Interesting. I think it's within the last four or five years yeah. where I, I truly like, I looked at the new games and saw that the quality was high, but not just, Oh, uh, there are talented people sitting here working here. It is the intention is to make the table move faster. Mm-hmm. The intention is to elicit a feeling and uh, this, and this game is meant to elicit these feelings and the systems are built to do that too, right? You're mechanically now, held up. Yeah, exactly. And I and that's hard. That is hard. And I think you don't know if it works unless you play it a lot. And I think uh, the, the the best people do, the best publishers do. Um, and then everything it does after that happens at the table, and that's where like the excitement happens. Yeah. And if I want to play a different kind of game, the game has such a low barrier to entry that I can just go do it. Right. I, I mean, think it used to be like, yeah, it's like it's like if someone says, well, this is a different system back when you and I were young, like I don't want to learn a new system. Like you don't know what yeah. that takes. Right. To learn advanced D&D or to learn GURPS and stuff right. like that. But now I, I pick up Fear Itself by Robin Laws because I want to run a horror game, you know, and it's this thick. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And it does exactly what I want to do, which is I want to do a horror movie and like, boom, I read, read it twice. I'm ready to run it. Uh, Robin Laws is one of those sort of. uh grand old men of the the world who crossed over uh sort of from the old school to like modern thinking where everything he has to say is still just as relevant and he is still a guy for whom uh, he's an incredible writer and his story is incredible but when you ask robin to design a game the mechanics hold up the story yep 
Yeah. So, yep. and, and him and Height have a special thing going on. Absolutely. Um, and uh, that's another podcast, by the way, for those of you listening. If you don't listen to Robin and Height's podcast, it's a really good one. Um, so, um, so, so think. I want you to think about that. Like, what was the think of a game that that you came across um, that that sobered you up a little bit? Can you think of one, or that kind of blew um, your mind? Maybe is another way to phrase it. Or you dismissed yeah. it first. Forgive me. I've done a lot of mushrooms. Not today. <laughs> uh, I'm the, so fucking high right now. Because <laughs> I can only think of like very recent examples. Like, well, that's okay. Um, like within the last few weeks, we decided we wanted to sit and play a game of Agon from uh, Evil Hat. A very thin book with a very specific uh, like assumption about how the game will be played. But none of us knew how to play when we sat down, and we played a complete game in two and a half hours. We learned it, played it, and had a satisfying experience. Oh, it's such a good game. That is impossible in the games I played as a younger person. Yeah. Like, you could not sit down, learn uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse, play a game of Werewolf the Apocalypse... And have the story conclude in a satisfying way. Yep. Where you also feel like the character I made is the character I envisioned. Because mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of these uh, games where um, character advancement replaces story advancement. <laughs> nice. That you're not allowed to make the character you would, you want to be. So the the game becomes the the, <laughs> the uphill climb. To becoming who you intended the character to be at the beginning. <laughs> That's a good point, man. Right? I never thought about that. Or, you know, like, the uh, it's it becomes impossible. All right, we're all making level one characters. Who's your character? Well, my character is an old man. He's a veteran of several wars. He's like, all right, well, he sucks as much as the farm boy. <laughs> exactly. the farm. Like, right? He has not been doing well. He has yeah, not been right? doing well at all. <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. It's so, very true, and that's a way in which the system really does not allow you to be exactly who you intend yeah. to be. Um, yeah. So, th- did, uh, did, did you enjoy pop- a gun? Oh, yeah, well, I had a great time with a gun. Yeah, uh, and we're going to be playing in a, in a, a, a sort of a jokey Agon hack uh, on the channel with the uh, designers John Harper and Sean Nittner. Oh, uh, that's great! On, on Twitter. Uh, uh john harper uh created i think it started with a logo he made a logo for what he said was a forgotten ps2 game called bloodstroke 2 colon sagas of the ravens guard <laughs> and then joked that it would uh also be an agon hack and then we said okay we'll run that and we're oh, fucking doing so it man oh that's great oh that's great that's great and he um yeah don't jump he with just us did, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll bite. yeah be careful now <laughs> yeah um i'm psyched for his cosmic agon uh that they announced um oh yeah that i think it's actually it's like um essentially it's uh but to use a comic reference it's norse but it feels mm-hmm. norse in the way of like the walter simonson thor uh run, exactly right yeah love that yeah, you definitely know what the inspiration is going to be. Oh, yeah. um, 
but man, you, to your point, and uh, one of the games for me was was John's, you know, uh, Bites in the Dark. Like, um, absolutely. When I started the camping, so the camping thing that I talked about, um, we've been doing for a long time, and it's it, it was it was board games and war games, right? So we'd bring miniature games and we'd do board games and stuff. And as I found role playing games again, I said, nope, evenings are role playing games. And a lot of the guys were like, I've never played. I'm like, don't give a shit. We're gonna figure it out. Um, and uh, I remember introducing like Star Wars. The FFG Star Wars, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, Great way to get people in. It really is. It really is. And it's a and it and it was a, it showed that game showed me exactly what you said. I had a bunch of people around some who had never role played before. I gave them character sheets, blank character sheets, walked them through character creation and like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then put the dice in front of them. The symbol means this. The symbol means that. Don't worry. I'll tell you which dice to pick up. I'll tell you what to roll. And within 15 minutes, everybody's playing a role-playing game. Welcome to the thing you can't do with GURPS. Yeah, yeah. And then I did the same thing with Blades in the Dark. Yes. And and it, it, that was even easier, right? That was even easier. I think a Blades character takes five minutes to yeah. make. Tops. Yep, yep. And, 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 and what I love, um, and this gets into John's design talent, is you can put the character sheet in front of them and they're, they're looking at the game. Yes. And if someone has never role played before, you can just say, look down, look down. It's all right there. What makes sense? And Have you had a chance to play um, Tuesday night's games Mothership? Oh, dude, a huge Mothership fan. Love Mothership. Mothership is a game where the character sheet is... Uh, also the a rules flow chart right it's a flow chart it's <laughs> yep. it's so smart oh. so and also a game that like it is mechanics meant to hold up a certain style of play yep and you pick it up and you don't need anything else it's no. so good no and and that's and mothership is another game that i've played at the campsite for the exact same reason and and you know again i can put blank sheets in front of everybody and go just walk with me we're gonna walk through this now we've got characters 10 minutes later let's start playing um it's great now it's here's a little funny story for you and i'll ask you and it'll bring me into my next thing i want to ask you about games wise um so i found mothership and i'm like oh shit this is great like for so long i've wanted to play like space horror right yeah. and mothership just nails it and what's great is mothership lets me do aliens or it lets me do, you know, some cosmic shit, right? Sure. You know, and Cthulhu, you know, type type stuff. And and Mothership carries it. The one time the we ran way. it on the channel, it went full Cthulhu pretty quick. <laughs> well, that's Logan, right? What are you going to do? <laughs> Jared's going to make yeah. it weird no matter yeah. which way you go. Um, and so then a buddy of mine was like, hey, Craig, have you checked out the Aliens role-playing game? Yeah. And I'm like, I couldn't be less interested. Could not be less interested in that game, partially because I'd found Mothership. And two, it's just like, dude, I've like, where do you I've put seen, yourself in the story? Yeah, yeah, I've seen the movies, you know, so same type of thing. They're like, they wouldn't shut up about it and whatnot. And I, so I, I, I picked, holy shit. Beautiful. Have you, have you fucked with that yet? Haven't played it. Read the book. It is gorgeous. <sighs> Talk about just beautiful, beautiful design. And everything you and I have been talking about, mechanics built and just surrounded to hold up a specific experience, the hidden agendas in the cinematic mode and the uh, the, um, the the triggers for XP, yeah. right? Having a trigger, did you make money this session? <laughs> and, and just like telling you how to play the game. Yeah. And it's awesome. It's awesome. And um, have you messed around anymore with those free league games at all? We haven't. Uh, right now... Uh, we 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 do we still do some home gaming. But, really, God bless you guys. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, it's it's not it's not all for an audience. 
Yeah. Uh, and also I want to play more than I do. So um, it's, it's nice to be able to actually get, I, I play more than I do without getting in front of the camera. I'm very happy yeah. to play on the channel when I have, uh, but uh, between me, you and the wall and everybody listening, I guess uh, like I found myself playing on the channel for the one show I play on. Cause we didn't have anybody else to sit in the chair. <laughs> <Right. laughs> oh, that's funny. And well, then, it changes things. Playing on the channel is different than playing around the table. Yes, it's true. Uh, yeah. It's it's fun in a different way. Yep. 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 Uh, but free league, uh, I have not actually myself played any of the games, but I have sat and sort of like uh, Vison. Gorgeous. Vison. Yeah. Gorgeous. Oh, uh, Alien. Run it. Gorgeous. Yeah. Like. I don't have uh, a ton of interest in like a Tales from the Loop or anything like that. Yeah, uh, and I'm the same way. Just beautiful, yep. like as an as an yep. art piece, I love it very much. Yeah, but uh, I like kids on bikes. Kids on bikes scratch that itch for me. Um, I don't know if you've poked around and got picked that up yet. Haven't played, although uh, our pals over at Dimension Twenty are playing it right now, I believe. So, do you know about the the powered character mechanic? No. So I'm so excited to talk to you, Clint, because I can have these conversations with you. Yeah, I'm interested. <laughs> like, I know what I'm about to tell you is going to jazz you. And that makes me so happy <laughs> because if you told me, I'd be like, oh, shit, that's cool. So, you know, kids on bikes, the stair, you know, it's, oh, look, it's, if there's a mechanic we like from another game, we'll steal it and stick it in any oh, game. We don't care. Oh. <laughs> so you, you, you make you make kids. Right. And and it's you know, it's Goonies. It's it's Stranger Things. It's E.T. And. In the game, so they've got a really clever way where you build the setting um, at, 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 as a writer's table with the players. Like you build the town, it's set in and stuff like that. And I've seen stuff like that before. That's not real innovative. What is really interesting is the power. So there's a powered character and it could be a dog. It could be an alien. It could be. It's, it's your E.T. It's your it's 11. It's right. your 11. Yeah. Yeah. So what they do is that powered character doesn't have a character sheet. They have a series of cards. Right. So let's say that there was five of us playing. Right. And we had a, a sixth GM. Each of us would get two cards, which is an aspect of that powered character. And it could be their power or it could be their fear or it could be uh, their love, uh, what, what relaxes them, what excites them, what triggers them. You And, you know, it's a, literally a deck of cards. Yeah. And everybody gets two cards. And at any point, you can evoke your part of the powered character. So the GM controls the powered character, and then the then the players can take over by That's invoking their cards. Great! How that, amazing you, is that? It's super great, and and uh, you're, it also steps into like almost literally the last argument I had with Jared about <laughs> game design <laughs> and play. Uh, I uh, I have more interest in balance than Jared has, and. Uh, but the but the problem is, it's um, there's a reason to make games balanced. Yes. But the narr- these stories that we watch, movies are not balanced. The 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 characters and books are not balanced. It is not. Uh, it's not interesting to make them balanced because uh, the we only follow the viewpoints of so many people. Uh, this really elegantly. Uh, gives you an unbalanced character that balances it by spreading it across exactly. the table. That's really, really clever. It, it, it is really clever. And um, I got, it's funny that you say that about balance. I used to, boy, I used to have a hard on for that big time, really needing yeah. it. And now I'm over that. 
So I'm in the Jared yeah. camp here where I was just like, but what it, it, but it has a requirement, which is you have to have that social contract at the table at the same time. Yes. Right. Um, and it, the mechanics are not going to enforce that. It has to be enforced because of you have that social contract. Otherwise, otherwise, it, you know, you can't you can't have an unbalanced game uh, by any stretch. Sure. And, and balance can mean a lot of things like like this is, this is a 20 year old story now, but in our old groups group. One of our characters made a guy who was more disadvantaged than advantages. Like among the things he had was like fear of turtles, like absolutely <laughs> insane. But then, then the joy of that character becomes <laughs> his disadvantages and right. the fact that his he's not attempting to play the same game everybody else is playing. So, uh, I my my love of balance is based in the social contract. Right? Yes, it is. I never want a player to feel like they are being. Uh, unfairly disadvantaged by rules. Yep. Rule, rules should only excite people. It should never feel like it limits them. I agree. I agree. I agree. All right. So not to get, so I, just so you know, in, in full disclosure, I am on a free league, like high right now. Um, well, and run me in a game. I haven't played in a game yet. Uh, uh, oh, dude, don't do that. <laughs> don't offer that. I'm hard to book, but uh, if, you can find, if, you can, if you can find two hours for me to sit right. and play a game, I'm in. Here's here's what's going to happen, Clint, and and I'm going to bug you about this. Um, you and I don't care who else. I'm going to run Forbidden Lands for you because that's the game that I know. As little as I know you, I know you're going to wrap your head around that game and just go, "Holy shit!" So I've looked at Forbidden Lands, and of course, you're right. I got super horny for it. Oh. We thought about it on the stream, and it's very map-based, and we are so theater of the mind in our uh, in the sort of stream of blood world right now. The fear was that uh, the the map of it all, all was going to just distract us from what we think we do best. So you're wrong. Um, it yep. happens all the time. <laughs> yep, you're wrong. The only thing that you, the only thing I would recommend is, unlike what you guys normally do, is you, you'd want to use a VTT for it, for f- because the map is part of it. But sure. when I, so when I run it on my stream, we bring up the map, the hex map. They move from hex one to hex two. Then boom, we go right back to just right. just faces, right? So it only comes up for the mat, just so people can go see if he's going north and going south. Yeah. And um, but oh boy, and and I just um, I just have a sneaking suspicion because it's a game where you read the game as a mechanic and go, that's clever. Ooh, I can see that. But you 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 feel it and you play it and you're like, holy cow, like that's good. So standing offer for you, Clint, if you want to find a couple people, I am there. I will. I would love to run it for you. Um, so you just tell me when. I'm interested. I'll, I'll, yep. I'll uh, move heaven and earth to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll lift the, uh, or part the stream of blood curtain a little bit and say, we have done no VTT stuff for the simple reason. None of us are good at computers. <laughs> <laughs> Every one of us came from the world of entertainment, yep. but Jared is a writer performer. I was a self-admitted a luddite when it comes right? to technology. Yeah. Oh, and it's worse than he said he admitted. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, uh, somehow I know the most, and I don't, I'm still not great. Like I come from the world of I'm a creative producer, right? Yeah. And then Brian uh, is a like a, a, a he casts shows, right? He knows he yep. knows everybody in town, but. He's not, 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 we come from the world of film entertainment, but all of a sudden now we're holding the cameras and we are very uncomfortable. <laughs> so <laughs> I look at the, you know, the, 
every Twitch show but ours has more technical savvy. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that, um, which we're keenly aware of. We know where our talents lie, but we are trying to we're trying to raise the game, uh, technically speaking, for both uh, the audience and ourselves. Uh, part of our problem is that we play with a lot of like we have a larger player pool. You, you do than, really do than almost any other actual play uh, I agree. setting. We uh, pride ourselves in having players who come from. The world of not actual play and are yep. playing for the first time with us uh and are we're getting for their performing talent and their storytelling ability and nothing else so we tell them you don't have to learn anything you don't have to download anything mm-hmm. you don't have to and this where the day we have to tell people they have to download something and learn a piece of software we're like uh now we can only play with like the eight people we know who know how to do it <laughs> yeah and, and when i'm talking to you about forbidden lands i don't know if it'd work on stream of blood what yeah, I do what, know, what we do is very specific. Like I, it, yes. it may be incredible, but right. The the learning curve to make Jared comfortable enough to run the game he knows how to run yes. might be high. Yeah, but what I do know is renting a house in California for a week. You put out that hex map in front of Jared, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you run Forbidden Lands for him, and he's gonna fall in love with it. Right. And 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 maybe and afterwards still probably wouldn't want to put it on stream of blood. Yeah. But I just I just know it's a game you would enjoy. Oh, listen, I hate to bring everything back to GURPS. I I miss hex maps so much. Oh, oh, Dude. I miss a hex map. And, and it's and, and think about how bad our hex crawls were like hex oh, crawls yeah. are were bad. And when you see how hex crawls is handled in this game, it's just like, whew, man, it's good. It's, it's so excited good. about it. Yeah, yeah, you'll like it. And um, you already talked about Vason. Vason's another game that um, I wrote off at first, too. This is, by, by the way, ongoing story with me and Free League. Every one of the games, I go, yeah, I have no interest in playing it. I've, I, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, another fantasy game. That's exactly what I want. I haven't played enough fantasy games. And then I get Forbidden Lands, and I completely fall in love. And Alien. Vason, I'm like, okay, whatever. It's Cthulhu in Sweden. No, it's not. It's a lot yeah. different. And, yeah, uh, being, able to, being able to open yourself up to, uh, like, throw away your preconceived notion. Jared hated blades in the dark when he was first introduced to it oh it doesn't surprise like, me uh he and and for for all this like J- jared's a super creative guy and he's like this is telling me what my game is and yep. how dare they like yep. so uh like offended by the idea that the character sheet had names on it <laughs> yeah uh, n- now it's our favorite thing in the world because it makes the game like run like grease lightning man like Everybody. You guys live on the show, you converted Joe O'Brien. Like you can watch the first episode of Blades in the Dark sure. that you get, did with those guys, and then watch a recent one, and you go episode by episode, and you can watch Joe get the game, and then like just consume it. Like I think it was like episode four, he yeah. knew the game better than all of you. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, one Joe is incredibly smart and a guy who yeah. cares, and yeah. is you know. Off stream is a man who he reads role playing books, which I love. Yeah. We can't really, we don't expect that of our players, but when we get it, what a goddamn joy! I, yeah. I will take a moment, I guess, it's because it's come up to say, like, as we said, we didn't not come from the actual play community, and our connection to Glass Cannon came from almost outside that community. Uh, Troy from the Glass Cannon, I believe, went to college with Brian Baldinger, our producer. No, uh, I was going to ask. I asked how that happened. No kidding. We yeah, we didn't, and like. And I can't say enough nice things about those guys. They run games that I like. I like them. I like them as players. They've been 
exceptionally kind to us. Like, and they don't need to. They're 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 big dogs, right? No, yeah, they, no offense. When I saw them on the stream of blood, I was like, "Holy shit, somebody's doing somebody a favor." Because you guys weren't there yet. Sure, and it, it except it was a favor we didn't even know what we were asking. Exactly, right? because we didn't come from the world of uh, like actual plays enough to be like, "Oh, they're a big deal. We'll get them on our channel." And then like, yeah, we didn't fucking know. Like <laughs> we so cool. we knew we knew Critical Role. <laughs> Yeah, and us. <laughs> no, <laughs> other, right? That's funny. That's yeah, but that's completely real. We had no. We did, we came from a world where there was like, and to this day, there's no competition with anybody because we all we we can only do what we do. I I am the biggest evangelist for what we do, and I think that uh, what we do is special, and there our audience uh, will grow as people find out about us because I think what we're doing is. Like very specific to what we are entertained by, and that that audience is bigger than currently know we exist, which is fine because it means we get a chance to get good at it. <laughs> and, As, and it's um, it's been really neat watching you guys, Clint. It really has been neat because you, you you guys were good from go, and what you've done in what a year and a half now, less than two years. I, I mean, yeah, it's been I, that long, has? Yeah, uh, God, I, I guess we probably started in. I think we started in March. We started the month the pandemic started. So just over a year now. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. When when I saw you know when I saw Joe, Joe and Troy on there, I was like, oh shit, that's a you know that's a big land. It's funny to find out that it was just like friend of the friend with Troy, hundred um, percent to come on. Um, but I mean, to your credit, like they were smoking what you were growing from go, like and like they were all in, which is awesome. It's a credit to you guys. Well, uh, Troy showed up as an early player in our Call of Cthulhu game and was just like immediately a kindred spirit as a yeah. player, right? Yeah. Which was really exciting. And yep. then they did they did not need to be supportive of us in the way they have been. And I just can't say enough nice things about them. Any any fan that has come to us through the glass cannon has been like exceptionally cool and smart. Like just well, their niche is, is a legit it's a legit yeah. community and it it's really a community is. of really good people really really good people uh, in the same way that you guys are curating as well i feel the same way about you know the sobs as well um and it's a it's a testament joe and i on the sh- when i interviewed joe he and i talked about that how certain content almost curates a community and just creates this this connection um which is awesome all right dude i have occupied an hour and a half of your time you're super busy um we like i love to do completely threw out the call sheet and just shot the shit which makes me super super happy um but before we go was there anything on the call sheet you were dying to talk about that we didn't hit all right let's see um I felt I like I wanted to yeah, finish. I, I and think I we hit basically I, I, everything. And in tying tying that guy tradition, I thought about trying to get you to do top five games, but I think I'm going to skip that. I think we just covered so we talked about so many different games, which makes yeah. me happy. Um, all right, so Clint, uh, obviously, I'm going to link to Stream of Blood. Um, I'm going to link please. to tying that guy so people can get their hands on that. If they want more, you though, where should they go? So if you want to see me in front of a camera or behind a microphone. Good fucking luck. I don't do that much. <laughs> um, uh, Craig asked me to do this, and I was happy to do so. But for the most part, the face of Stream of Blood is the incredibly tan- talented and funny Jared Logan. Uh, so don't come to Stream of Blood if you're expecting to find a bunch of <laughs> of me. I'm there every time. I'm helping create every bit of content you see. But uh, Stream of Blood has a more talented uh, face than 
Uh, yeah, my... but Jared's the first one to say that it would not be what it is without you. So don't don't downplay that too much, my friend. Sure, I, I, I'm I've caught myself very very lucky that uh, Jared Logan lets me work in the world of role playing, which is a passion. Yeah, but I don't have to. Uh, Get over my insane uh, anxiety about speaking to people. Isn't that funny? <laughs> because I've got Jared to be the mouthpiece. And I can simply write ideas like, uh, you know, kill that guy. And then uh, 30 seconds later, watch it happen on the screen. You're the puppet master. <laughs> uh, yeah, so no, like I, I, uh, the way it tends to work in, in secret GM world is I blast Jared with my ramblings and observations and ideas as we go. And he cherry picks the ones that are heading in a direction that makes sense or inspire him to do something. So, so it's totally collaborative. We're wrapping but... the show up and now I've got a new question for you. I'm not going to oh, let you sure. go yet. What, 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 what's your favorite of that time? So what is one time where you saw something blasted it to Jared and it happened and you were like, Oh, it, oh. I was so proud of myself. You know, there, there are certain characters that their, their voices speak to me. And in, the, in, I will frequently write little monologues while the scene is happening Nice. Jared and I have a shared document where he can see me typing in real time. And I will script style just write in character. That's amazing. And then it's not particularly subtle or anything. You can see Jared's eyes glance over and he's reading what I've written. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. It, but it, it gives you a the cool thing of Jared gets to be in the moment and play with the players. And then you get the thing that a book has or a TV show has. Which is some a crafted the bad guy gets to say the fucking cool ass thing <laughs> because somebody had a chance to sit and write it down, which is just a it's a nice thing that can happen when all the stars align with yeah. the way we play together. Yeah, like still, I, like you, I love they, we've just killed a character in Vampire named Miss Sonia, who was my favorite to like write things to say <laughs> like the voice of miss sonia jared once he came up with what miss sonia sound like i was like oh she is going to say the nastiest shit <laughs> like, like uh i had i was like all right now say that they're gonna she's gonna uh kill her best friend in front of her parents <laughs> and uh it, that that feels really good oh, when it cool. when it comes off yeah you know? because yeah. i also get to see the players react and it feels like i'm playing Right. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting when you, when you say that, that um, it takes it takes an interesting load off of Jared in the fact that it frees him up. Um, and I, I have completely stolen the secret GM thing from you guys, by the way. So one of my patrons and a good friend of mine now is now because I used to run the stream and run the game at the same time. It's like shit, man. And now I've got Nick helping we knew me we out. We couldn't do it, yeah. Oh, yeah, Nick is now helping me out, and it's and it's completely changed everything for me. Like, now I can just play, yeah. uh, which is good. So now I, I might steal your little Google Doc idea, too. That's pretty slick. Yeah, I mean, it, it works well for us. Uh, yeah. And also, I just know, like, uh, it's hard. Running a game's hard. Yep. Like, Spinning uh, and, plates is hard. And, and also, like, um, if you want to be respectful of what the players have to bring, it means you have to pay as much attention to them as they're paying attention to you. And Jared's very good at that, but he also has, like the story's going somewhere. And whenever I can just lift the load enough that Jared can be 100% invested yeah. to what's happening, I think it makes the game better. I agree. Um, 
I agree. I agree. All right, guys. Um, so we're going to have links to all of that um, in the show notes. So just scroll down. Um, shame on you. As much as I've talked on Stream of Blood, if you have not already started watching Stream of Blood, then shame on you because I have been talking about it for close to a year now, uh, listeners. And um, I have not really talked about Ty and that guy um, on the show. So that um, it's one of the first podcasts I listen to. As soon as it comes out, I listen to it. Um, Should and, we tell people what it is? I don't think we've even mentioned. Yeah, I guess so. We should. Go ahead, please. Oh, sure. Uh, Ty and That Guy is a podcast from writer, author, uh, one half of uh, James S.A. Corey, the authors of the Expanse novels, uh, and Wes Chatham, actor, uh, who plays uh, Amos Burton on the Expanse. And it is loosely about the Expanse because we, <laughs> on a lot of episodes, we talk about an episode of the show. We're going to run out of those before you know it. Yeah. So we it uh, it's mostly about the things about which they are very nerdy and mutually nerdy, and that is uh, usually Kurt Russell. There's <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of Kurt Russell. A lot of Kurt Russell. Everyone Kurt Russell. It's about it's and about movies and Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, they love Die Hard. I love Die Hard, but Die Hard doesn't belong on every best you, of you, list. You don't. Have, you're not. You're not religious about it like they are. <laughs> I'm not religious. I love Die Hard, but yeah. come on, guys. <laughs> That's so funny. Um. Yeah, so uh, it's a free free form conversation between a very very talented writer uh, and role playing game player in uh, Ty Frank, and a very very like talented and thoughtful and funny actor Wes Chatham, and I'm uh, I produce the show, and largely because they say things that infuriate me, I've begun to pop in more and more. Uh. <laughs> well, and, and I love that um, how that's been progressing because I've started I started right at the very beginning with you guys um, and you know funny story for the listeners um, I did not realize like I knew Clint from Stream of Blood before I realized like I just for some reason didn't make the stupid connection in my head until the first time I heard your voice on the podcast and I went holy shit <laughs> like that's that's like the same guy, which is dumb. Like, like Clint Trucks is not a there are, there name. Are not two of them. There's only <laughs> so, two Clint Trucks. That tells you, tells you how smart I am. But um, <laughs> yeah, and what I love um, about that show that you guys do is what you just said. So we do get the behind the scenes uh, director's commentary on The Expanse. And at the beginning, early episodes, that was the majority of the show, which I absolutely loved. But to a certain degree, with an episodic TV show, You've already said things, right? So you you can't keep saying the same thing over and over again. So you run out of less and less new stuff to talk about. And what I love is what you have filled it with, which right. is like two and a half, sometimes three of you guys just nerding out on on movies, on popular culture, on games and stuff. And it's it's fun. It's phenomenal. And the three of you, the two of them have an amazing chemistry. And, and really now you becoming more part of the show, Clint, has has added to the show, even if you're yeah. a foil at some time. Yes. <laughs> I have no desire to be a performer, but sometimes they say things that simply cannot stand and I need to jump in. And, and guys, so it's, it's, they have the conversations we have around uh, at the end of a convention when we're having beers at the bar, which is, Very is much. Die Hard a Christmas movie, right? Or is Die Hard a hostage movie? It's, it's those those yeah. types of conversations where <clears throat> whether they, w the right answer or wrong answer means nothing in the universe, but we are going to argue about this and we're going to discuss this like it matters and yeah. <laughs> in the way that only us nerds do. Yeah, there's a top five in every episode. And I stand by none of those lists. <laughs> <But> <laughs> they, um, yeah, I mean, some of them are not wrong. I tend to, I tend to agree with Ty more than Wes, but I like, here, here's, it is with me and Wes is like, I, I don't, I may not agree with Wes, but I, I understand 
Wes's Certainly. choice, right? It makes sense for Wes. I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah, that makes total sense for you. Or I tend to agree with Ty. And then when you pipe in, I'm like, finally, the voice of reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's the, the, the analytical robot of Ty Frank. There is the all emotion and heart. Just passion, uh, yeah. Of, of a Wes. And then, you know, there's someone who's right. Exactly. Oh God, um, Clint. This was um, you, like, like I said, dude. You're super busy, um, and you found uh, just over 90 minutes to spend with me, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for your support over the last year. So appreciated, oh, dude. I, I like no bullshit, man. I guarantee there's like four four subscriptions that are completely because of me. <laughs> like, you wouldn't be where you are. All four of you. <laughs> no, we, we, we value everyone. Like we, we, if you if you want to talk to us, come to the Discord. Uh, pop into the chat. We are. It's a great Discord, man. Uh, and yeah. again, pr- pr- proof of concept as, as far as that curating the community. It's um, I'm not a just dis- I'm 50 years old. I'm not a big Discord guy. And like, there's like five Discords I look at, and yours is one of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. If you want me to be mean to you in person, come to the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and that reminds me, I need to link to the Discord. So scroll down. I've already done that for you. Uh, but most importantly, someone, oh, you. You sat around all the way to the end. You listened to this whole thing. And I want you to know I appreciate you doing that, too. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe to Tabletop Talk and share it with your friends. Check out our content on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor. All the links are in the show notes. Take care, floorheads. Uh, Oh, hey. Are you still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down, scroll down and yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon discord? Anyway, thanks for sticking around. Take care.